And I hope that I hope that video gives you chills. That's really cool. And I am I'm excited to let you know that for the first time we are hosting a night to shine at the chapel this year, which is coming up February 10th um, next year. And uh, it's sponsored by the Tim Tebow Foundation. And Night to Shine is an unforgettable prom night experience centered on God's love, celebrating people with special needs. I got a friend of mine who, who coaches for Norwalk, and he is a special needs teacher over at Perkins. And he, t- he told me that one of his students went to this, and the student literally talked about it for months, that it was like the greatest thing that had ever happened to him. This is such a great experience. Uh, we're going to be hosting this incredible event at our Sandusky campus again on February 10th, and we're excited to, show, to, to let you know how you can get involved, right? Because we are looking for about 200 volunteers, and some of those volunteers are going to be buddies accompanying one of our honored guests to this prom, and we're going to have support at, this, at, the, at the event focused on caring for special needs, so you don't need any special skills or training, and we're, we want you to just focus on sharing, on, on showing God's love and providing companionship to your honored guests that you're with, too. We're also going to need extra volunteers to help with food, with setup, with teardown, um, and we want this to be a night to remember for these special people, and we can't do that without you. So here's what I want you to do. Text that word NIGHT to the number up on the screen, and we're gonna get you connected to be a part of changing someone's life, potentially, potentially changing someone's life, and also potentially changing their eternity by showing them in a real way the love of Jesus. It's gonna be incredible. I hope you can come and be a part of that. So looking forward to that. Hey, if you've never met me before, my name's Joe, and I get to serve as one of our pastors here this morning, and 10.30 service, it's full. Are you all awake yet? All right, if you're not, go get some coffee, because we're gonna have church. Here's what we're going to do. Um, first, I want to tell you a quick story um, because we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 27. We've only got one more week to go, right? 28 weeks of the book of Acts. And maybe you're excited that we're switching gears. There was a pastor named John Piper. He taught on the book of Romans for eight years. And so we're going to be starting that in a couple of weeks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you're like, time to find a new church. Okay. But today I want to talk about storms, and uh, we're going to talk about a storm in the book of Acts, all right? So I'm going to take you back, 1996, all right? The movie Twister came out in 1996. You see Twister? Who raised, yeah, raise your hands. Great movie, right? Scared the crap out of me. So it was that summer in 1996. I was sitting on the porch of my house, and I lived in Fremont at the time, and I'm sitting there with my dog, and tornado sirens are going off, right? And normally if you're a Midwestern and you hear the tornado sirens go off, you're like, let's go outside and see what's going on. Totally the wrong idea, right? So I'm out on the front porch, and then it gets, like, super quiet. And then I'm like, okay, why do I hear a train? Okay, because there was, like, no railroad tracks anywhere near our house, right? And all of a sudden, I see this giant wall of gray cloud moving, like, across, across the field by our house, coming towards our house. And I, like, grabbed our dog. I went inside, and it was, like, the scariest moment of my life wind, branches falling down. There were no cows flying around, though, which was like what I would hope to see if it was a tornado, right? That's what, like, the one thing I was hoping for. Now, I don't know if it was ever confirmed that it was an actual tornado touchdown, if it was just a funnel cloud, or maybe I'm just a baby and it was wind, okay? But maybe you know, like in the Midwest, right, you've been through some storms. Now, how many of you here are boaters, or you've been out on Lake Erie on a boat? Raise your hand. 
Okay, all right. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Lake Erie is the shallowest of all of the Great Lakes with an average depth of only 200 feet. Now, Lake Ontario, for example, has uh, an average depth of 400 feet and a maximum depth of 750 feet. Now, because of Lake Erie's shallow depth, it's very easy for storms to blow up quickly with very little notice when the winds blow in from the west. And because of its depth, you know, shallow depth that's known for incredibly high waves, white caps, waves that can stack on top of each other. And there have been more shipwrecks in the Great Lakes than in any other body of water in the world, right? Now, those of you who have been, on, now, I've never been on a boat, all right, in the middle of a storm. But I've been on Jackson Street Pier seeing those waves just flying across the, across the, the dock, right? Now, raise your hand if you've been out on Lake Erie in one of those storms, all right? We're grateful you're still with us. Now, if that was you, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what is going on in the story that we're going to be talking about today. This account in Acts 27 of Paul with 275 other people on a ship that, is going, that are going through a massive storm. So we're going to be reading... From Acts 27, verses 21 through 44. And uh, I'm going to read it directly from my Bible. So if you have your Bible, that's where you're going to want to be. If you want to use the YouVersion app on your phone, we're going to be there as well too. But before we jump into that, um, let me tell you a little bit, an overview of Acts 27, the verses leading up to it. So the Roman governor agrees to send Paul to Rome. So Paul and the other prisoners, because Paul was imprisoned at this time, they set sail to Italy. And on the way, conditions begin to deteriorate pretty rapidly, and, and they pose a severe threat to not only the boat, but to the lives of those on the boat as well, too. So we're going to pick this up, verse 21 through 44. It says, No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. The shipwreck. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid they would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore, so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboats as though they were going to put out anchors in the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. The soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried that you haven't even touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, 
They didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them at sea. They lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward the shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard and f- overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. So, this is a bad deal, right? There are 276 people on this ship, all right? They're all facing this incredible storm. 275 of them believe they're going to die. One believes that they're going to live. The one, Paul, recognizes that God is present in the middle of this storm. And I'm wondering if maybe it's because he had heard stories of the apostles. You know, when he was spending time with Peter, he heard the stories about the times when they were traveling across the Sea of Galilee and the storms blew up, right? And, and there's waves and wind crashing over the boat and Jesus is with them. What's Jesus doing? He's taking a nap. Which just goes to show that when life is falling apart, maybe you need to be like Jesus and just take a nap. But they realize that Jesus, they awaken him, and he calms the storms. So Paul knew that if the God he served could do that, then the God he served could handle this. And Paul believes that God had strategically placed him in this boat with these people to help them get through this storm. Well, the same is true for you, and it's true for me. Because there's people in your life right now And maybe it's you who are facing some violent storms. It could be anything. could be marriage struggles. could be depression. could be financial problems. Battling disease or cancer. Unrelenting grief. You know, watching their kids make poor choices. It could be a lot of different things. And if you're like me, you probably want to help. But a lot of times you just don't know what to say or what to do. Have you ever felt like that in a situation you just felt helpless? Somebody's just unloading all of the junk in their life, and you're listening, and you're like, I want to help, I don't know what to do, and they're just unloading it, and you're like, do you want a donut? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say here, right? Or maybe you're feeling like somebody's unloading, and you want to help, but the reality is you've got your own junk. And you're thinking of this person like, hey, I'm sorry you're going through this, but you don't know what it's like being me right now, and I don't even have the capacity to deal with my own life, let alone get involved in your mess, But yet what's so encouraging about this whole story is Paul gives us a blueprint that that we can use to help other people navigate the storms of life even when when we're in the same storms too. So we can say it like this, is that we're all in the same boat and Jesus has uniquely equipped us, you and me, to help others. So we do what we can while leaving the results to God. So let's look at the first part of this statement. We're all in the same boat, right? As you read this story, there are a lot of different people in this boat. There's soldiers, um, there's crew members, and there's prisoners, right? And among these people, most of them were pagans, which just means that they believed in a lot of different gods, but they didn't believe in the God of the Bible, Jesus, the one whom Paul knew and worshiped. So at the end of the day, though, there was one thing that united them. All 276 were in the same boat 
facing the same storm. And one of, one of the things that unites us with every single person in the world is that all of us live in a broken world filled with pain, with suffering, and sorrow. You know this. You might be going through something right now. And if you're not, the unfortunate reality is that there's a time coming when you will be. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles, right? So not to sound pessimistic, but we should expect that that's going to happen when we live in a broken world. Though the storms that we're facing might look different, we're all in the same boat. We're all going through something or will be going through something or have gone through something. And one of the best things, I would say the best thing that we can do for someone else who, who's going through this is to show them that they are not alone. Because it's so easy, right, when you're going through something to feel, that you're, that, to feel that you're alone or that no one cares or that no one understands, that no one is going to reach out to help you. And so even though you might not be able to completely understand what they're going through, you understand what it means to struggle, and therefore you are a qualified companion to accompany them in their storms. Your presence in the boat shows them just how much you care. Because sometimes helping that person means just showing up and to keep showing up and to keep showing up. Here's why. Teddy Roosevelt said this. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So true, right? I feel that sometimes in life we, we meet somebody who's struggling with something and we don't know what to do, so we're quick to give them like a saying or, hey, you should read this book or we tell them this Bible verse and we don't even know if it has any value to them because they don't even know if we care, which is why sometimes God equips us to help other people in maybe just a small way, maybe a big way, but maybe just a small way. I remember the, I was, as I was trying to think of an example of this, these two weird stories kept coming back to me. All right, and they involved the same person, this guy named John, who's, who's a friend of mine. Uh, I remember there were twice in my life when I was going through some really difficult stuff, and he did the craziest thing. So I remember one time, it was like 2008, I was going through something, and John just listened, right? He didn't judge, he didn't tell me what I needed to do, he just listened. And then he bought me some windshield wipers. True story. Like, he was like borrowing my car, and he noticed that my windshield wipers were just trash, they were all worn out, and I didn't have any money to buy new ones, and he bought me like... These were, these, were, these were like Michelin windshield wipers. These were like, these were like worth more than the car, okay? They were good wipers. And it was just like, he just met some, a tangible need, right? And it made a difference in my life. It showed me that he cared enough about me to do something. The second time, same guy, a couple years later, I'm hanging out with him at Panera, and uh, we're talking, and he's listening to me. And he's trying to help me through this, and he's sharing some words from, from the Bible, and he's praying for me. And then he gave me his belt and $100. I know, it's so weird. He's just like, Joe, I don't know why, but I feel like God is just telling me to give you my belt. He takes his belt off. It's an express belt. It's really nice. It's reversible. It's brown leather on one side, black leather on the other side. Really nice belt. I wore it for years. And he gave me $100, which was great because I was broke. I didn't have any money and I needed, I needed a belt and $100. All of that to say... Sometimes God calls you to not just listen, but to do something, to make a difference. And it might just be a small difference, or it might be a big difference. The reality is, is that Jesus has uniquely equipped us to help other people. 
So once somebody knows that you are in the boat with them, now you can help. Because John, because I knew that John was cared enough to listen to me, to spend time with me, he knew that he had the opportunity to help me out in a real way. I think about this. All right, if you fly, um, don't be like me, right? Usually when I fly, before the plane even takes off, like as soon as I'm seated, like I've got my neck pillow on, my AirPods in, I'm two Dramamines in, I'm like asleep before the plane takes off, all right? Now, if you're a good Christian, you do this. You listen to what the flight attendants have to say, right? Because they give all their safety warnings. And here's one of the things that they'll point out. That in the event of an emergency, oxygen masks will drop from the ceiling. And what you're supposed to do is put yours on before you put some, help somebody else, right? Which is counterintuitive because you think like, man, if you have a small child next to you or maybe somebody who is elderly or just can't get their mask on, your first instinct would be to help them before you help yourself. The problem is this, is that while you're helping that person, if there's a lack of oxygen, you may, your oxygen level may run low enough that you become unconscious, and now you can't help anybody. So what you're supposed to do is put your oxygen mask on so that you have the ability to help someone else, right? And this is exactly what Paul does in this account of the storm. Because here's what happens. The conditions are to the point in this storm where everybody thinks they're going to die. And seeing this, here's what Paul says. He says, no one has eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. Here's what he says. For last night, an angel of God, whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God, in his goodness, has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. Paul has the ability to speak these words of comfort and encouragement to people who believe that they're about to die. The only reason Paul can help other people is because he had the oxygen mask on first. Here's what I mean. Because Paul had a relationship with God, he was able to share he was able to see and hear what others couldn't see in this situation. Because Paul recognizes that God is with them on the boat, he can share that even though the other people think that God is totally absent in this time. And he knows that he doesn't have to fear because he can hear God speaking words of hope and encouragement to him. So because Paul can clearly understand God's presence and voice, he can use that to help the others around him by recognizing he's on that boat for a specific reason. He speaks God's hope-filled words to people who desperately need to hear them. So here's what that means for you. In the middle of a storm, a lot of times people are just desperately trying to hold on, trying to hold on and survive, right? They're like, I'm just trying to figure out how to take another step. I'm just trying to figure out how to get up tomorrow and get to work. I'm just trying to figure out how to go to school. I'm just trying to figure out how to, how to drive home, how to do the, just the next thing, Right? And because of that, faith and hope can quickly fall away and give in to fear and despair. And it becomes impossible for people to even remotely see how God could be present in that situation. And that's where you and I can step in and help them to see things they can't see for themselves. But we can't show them something we can't see. The greatest thing 
that you can bring to people who are in the boat with you is your relationship with Jesus. But you can't share something you don't have. You know, when you're walking with Jesus, you're able to help other people see Jesus in the middle of the storm. When you spend time in God's word, you can share those words of courage to them so they can keep going instead of giving up. Because you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, you know you can help them by bringing them a meal or taking them out for coffee or checking on them daily because you've been there. But you can't share what you don't have. The time to pick up God's word is not when the storm hits. That's reactive. You have to be proactive. You know, when your house is on fire, that's not the time to get on your phone and order a fire extinguisher from Amazon. Because even with two-day shipping, it's going to be too late. You see, God is equipping you now so that you can help then. He's equipping you in the peace so you can help in the storm. But again, if you're not seeking him now, you won't be able to share what you don't have when things get out of control. God has equipped us to help others. And sometimes it's in real tangible ways, but the only way we can do that is when we stay close to Jesus. One, so that we know how, and so that we have the ability to do so. So we're all in the same boat. And Jesus has uniquely equipped us to help others. So we do what we can while leaving the results to God. I love what happens in Acts 27, 33, and 37. Just as day was dawning, Paul encouraged everyone to eat. You've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread and gave thanks to God before them all and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. You see, Paul helped them by sharing encouragement, but he also helped them by meeting a real need. They hadn't, they hadn't eaten in two weeks. And then when I read this, I sometimes wonder, like, was Paul in a way leading them through the Lord's Supper? Well, the answer is both no and yes. The answer is God's, but they didn't believe in Jesus, the one who initiated the Lord's Supper, who initiated communion. They were just eating bread because they were starving, right? They're just grateful to have lived through this thing. On the other hand, the answer is yes, Paul is celebrating the Lord's Supper because for Paul, his, his role wasn't to control the outcome of what was gonna happen. That was God's job. Instead, Paul's role was to point people to God's faithful character by two things. One, sharing encouragement, and two, meeting a real need by providing them some food. And so God has called you to help others in the best way that you know how. So, here, here's the scary thing, though. And here's where I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable, which is okay, because, like, we spend most of our lives trying to be comfortable. I get about 25 minutes a week to try to get you out of that comfort zone. A lot of times, God will call you to do something that at first may seem unwise, might seem dangerous, may not seem financially responsible, might seem ridiculous, right? But I'm reminded of my, one of my favorite accounts in the Gospels is this, the Jesus' first miracle where he turns water into wine, and here's why. 
Jesus is at this wedding with his disciples and they run out of wine. Now, to us, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but in this culture, that would have been the one thing that that couple was known about for the rest of their life. No matter what they did, they would have always been known as that embarrassed couple who ran out of wine too early because they, weren't find, they didn't have enough money to be able to prepare for their wedding. So Jesus' mom steps in and tells the servants what? Do whatever he tells you. And that's really important because what Jesus told them to do was so ridiculous, right? He tells them, hey, go fill those stone jars full of water. And those servants are probably like, look, man, we're not out of water. We're out of wine. You're about to make a bad situation a whole lot worse. But they did it. And because of their obedience to his ridiculous request, they got to be a part of Jesus' first miracle. Think about the boy who sees thousands of people hungry and the disciples and Jesus trying to figure out how to help them. What's he do? He brings his lunch Something ridiculous, right? Hey, here, here's enough for me. See if you can spread this around to 5,000 people, right? But because he was willing to give what he had, he got to be a part of Jesus feeding thousands of people. So God may call you to do something that might seem ridiculous. I don't know. Maybe you should become a foster parent. Maybe you should adopt someone. Maybe you should use some of your PTO, some of your vacation time to go on a short-term mission trip. Maybe you should start a small group. Maybe you should sign up to serve at night to shine. Maybe you should quit your bartending job and grow your hair out and get some tattoos and become a pastor. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, you should, maybe you should fill 20 shoe boxes. Maybe you have an extra room at your house. Maybe you should let somebody live there. Maybe you should give away that extra car you have to somebody who's in need. Maybe you should sell that car and help somebody with their medical bills. Maybe you should quit your job and go into vocational ministry. Maybe you should take a kid who you know is struggling and meet with them twice a week and pay for him to go to take martial arts classes. I don't know. God may be calling you to do something totally ridiculous, right? That at the surface seems like, ah, oh, I don't know, that might not be good for our family, that might not be good for our finances. Do whatever he tells you. And you will get to be a part of something incredible. Here's why. Because when you meet a tangible need, and somebody's going through something, and you meet something, a need that they have, and they might feel that God doesn't care at all, when you do something in the name of Jesus, you show them that he absolutely does. In a real way. We are the body of Christ. I've learned so many times that if Jesus is going to function in our world, guess what? It's going to be through us. And they also can know that God cares because if he didn't, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. And you can share that. You can share the hope that you have in Jesus. If anyone gets suffering, it's our God. And we have that to share. So remember, we're all in the same boat. And Jesus has uniquely equipped us to help others. So we do what we can, even if it's ridiculous, while leaving the results to God. Let me pray. Father, you have called me to do some crazy things in my life. And uh, the times I've chosen to be faithful, God, I've seen you work in incredible ways. And I pray that the people here would get to see that ridiculous faithfulness that you offer through doing whatever you tell them to do. 
and that they may be that person in the boat with someone else who's going through a storm that brings comfort and hope. And God, for those who are here who are going through those storms, God, would they know that you love them, that you are good, that you are in control, and you are with them. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.